The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber, and you're listening to me on America's Web Radio. I'm glad to be back here. I feel like I haven't seen you guys in a while. I had uh, an emergency uh, operation to do last time I was uh, up to do the show, and sadly, I had to miss it. But I'm glad to be back, and we've got a lot, lot of stuff to talk about today. This show is always me trying to explain to you folks why it is so important that we preserve free market health care in this country and that we avoid socialized medicine. And I feel with the pandemic, with the uh, state of the economy and so many things that have been happening lately, it really is shedding light on just why it's so important that we maintain free market medicine. Now, I've been in medicine now for almost 30 years. I started medical school back in 1992. And I feel like my superpower has been, God gave me not a lot of athletic ability, not a whole lot of intelligence, but he did give me a great work ethic, which was really fostered by my father, who pounded into my head that good things come to people who work hard. And that has certainly turned out to be true. And I have the ability not to quit. And uh, these things have sort of allowed me to be successful in academics, have allowed me to be successful in business, and and also in medicine. And so I feel like I've spent a lot of time in, in uh, business. I've spent a lot of time in medicine. I've spent a lot of time uh, in schools, in universities. And so I've sort of seen the underbelly of the beast and what I really want to do is take what I've seen through my experience it and share it with you all so that you can see healthcare the way I see healthcare uh, and and really demand that we preserve free market healthcare in this country. Now, one of the most important things we need to learn in life is nobody looks out for your interests better than you. And when I was a kid and we used to learn about economics the the basic tenet was buyer beware and i feel like a lot of that has been lost i talk to young people these days and they don't seem to know that in the way that my generation knew that but buyer beware is really fundamental to you are in charge of your own situation your own life and you need to be able to to monitor your life you need to be able to make decisions about your life because in the end nobody looks out for your interests better than you now i always like to give an example of this when i was first out of college i got my first job or one of my first jobs working as a bartender and then i started also working as a fitness trainer and at the time i was playing club rugby uh, at a pretty high level and so these jobs were great because whenever we had to leave for games or and travel and things like that, I was able to, to get time off of work. And I had these two jobs that allowed me to train for rugby. And so it was really great. And I remember one of my coworkers at the uh, fitness club, we wanted to go get coffee and split a muffin. And I remember we went around the corner to the coffee shop. We, got, we, we each got our coffee and we bought this big muffin. And she asked me to split it. And so I took the top of the muffin off 
and gave her the bottom of the muffin, and I kept the top. And she looked at me and, and said, are you serious? What are you doing? And I was like, what? You wanted to split the muffin? I gave you the bigger half. And she goes, yeah, but I want the top. And I said, oh, I just, I didn't mean to do anything. It's just, I like the top. And she looks at me and she goes, everybody likes the top of the muffin. And I remember thinking to myself that I really had no malice in my heart. I actually, in my mind, I was thinking that I was giving her the better of the deal. I was giving her the bigger piece of the muffin. It didn't even dawn on me that the top half was the part of the muffin that people like. And it always was a good lesson to me about the fact that when you let other people make decisions for you, they don't necessarily make decisions that are in your best interest or even decisions that you want. And it's not only because they're bad people, it's just a patient, you know, it's just perspective. We also talked about my daughter who was uh, tomahawking at the softball on her softball team. She was about 10 years old when this was happening. And, you know, I know I've shared this story with you guys before, but it's important because it it helps underscore the importance of perspective. So my daughter was swinging at these balls over her head. And so she was, you know, they call it tomahawking with the, with the uh, bat where she's not having a nice level swing. She's sort of coming over the top trying to hit at the ball. So she and I spent weeks working on that nice level swing. And I really felt like I had her prepared. We had this big game. It was a night game. And we get out there, and she gets up to the plate, and the pitcher starts pitching the ball over her head. And like a good batter, like she was taught, I said, lay off those pitches that are over your head and don't swing at them. But the umpire called them strikes. And so she, at her first at-bat, she watched three balls go over her head, and she struck out. And she kind of looked at me, you know, like, hey, I did what you said. I didn't swing at these balls over my head, and I struck out. And I'm thinking to myself, gosh, this umpire's killing me. I'm trying to teach my daughter a lesson, and he's calling these balls over her head strikes. Now, my daughter eventually gets up, and the same thing happens at her second at bat, and she's looking at me, and she starts crying. And I was like, listen, this is life. You know, life's not always fair. You have to make adjustments. And I, I'm saying it really loudly, like, like yes, the umpire is making terrible calls. You know, those balls are over your head, but you're going to have to make an adjustment. And she did. She got a big um Stand up double uh, with with some runs batted in, and uh, it was really a great moment and uh, for me because my daughter and I had learned some lessons. She kind of faced some adversity up there. She made a, an adjustment, and she had some success. And I often thought about that umpire. I mean, these kids are ten years old. It's a softball game. I'm certain he had no vested interest in the outcome of the game. Uh, but he was clearly making horrible calls. These balls were over my daughter's head. There's no way they were strikes. And I thought to myself, I don't believe there was any malice in this umpire's heart. It was just his perspective. For whatever reason, he was calling strikes. Now, these softball games are, are small potatoes and sharing muffins are not really important. But your health care is very important. And so when you allow other people to make decisions about something as important as your health care, you're going to get the short end of the stick. Now, let's sprinkle in uh, lack of intelligence and corruption into that scenario. And you really are going to be stuck with some difficult situations. And I'm going to share some of that stuff with you because, sadly, there is a lot of stupidity and a lot of corruption in healthcare, and it affects the quality of the healthcare that you get, the access of the healthcare you get, and the quality you get. So, 
I don't know if any of you listened to the State of the Union address the other night. I listened to a little bit of it, and I had to turn it off right up at the point where uh, Joe Biden made the statement that the Trump tax cuts benefited the wealthy. Now, here you have the leader of the free world basically making a bold-faced lie. It's been stated so often, this lie, that people like me, I've already heard this on a bunch of different uh, shows, news outlets. I mean, even even uh, uh, left-leaning newspapers are reporting this. But I basically just went to the IRS data. To, to, and I've done this many times before because I'm so sick and tired of hearing people lie to us about basic things that are easy to check. And the in 2018, the based on the Trump tax cuts, we see that the tax uh, the tax cuts for people making between fifteen thousand to fifty thousand dollars was from sixteen percent to twenty six percent decrease in their taxation. People making $50,000 to $100,000 saw an average of 15% to 17% decrease in their taxes. Okay, do you see that? You're making less money, $15,000 to $50,000. You get the largest tax cut, 16% to 26%. You make $50,000 to $100,000, you still get a tax cut, but it's not as much as the lower tax bracket. It was only 15% to 70%, 17%. Now you get people making $100,000 to $500,000. They saw an 11% to 13% decrease. Still a decrease, but less than the lower tax brackets. For people making over $500,000, it was uh, 9% at the most. So still a tax cut, but less than the upper brackets. And then... People making a million dollars or more saw less than a 6% decrease. So still a decrease in their taxes, but not as much as the lower tax brackets. Now, that shows, number one, and here's another thing. The tax revenue was the highest ever. So this is one of the things that drives me nuts. It's a very simple thing. It's not hard to see. And yet politicians lie to us about it all the time. We decrease the taxes. Everybody sees a decrease in their taxes, which I don't think anybody's opposed to that. And the government sees a greater revenue. And you might ask yourself, well, if everybody's paying less taxes, then, you know, how is the government seeing more money? Well, the reason is each individual is paying less taxes, but you got more people that are paying taxes because the economy is expanding. Because when you have lower taxes, your businesses are able to reinvest and uh, expand and grow and hire more people, and you create more taxpayers. Now, the reason that government officials, and particularly Joe Biden types, don't like this is because when our economy expands and people become successful, they don't want to depend on the government every mo- anymore. And the people in government want to maintain the power. And your health care is a main way that that politicians maintain control over your life because it's a valuable uh, asset for all of us and if they can control it it's a lot of political power and it's it's a lot of monetary power and I think we've seen that uh, with the pandemic I'm not going to get into any of that right now cuz I don't want to get people attacking me or getting getting all fired up but I think you've all seen that with your own eyes now Joe Biden making this statement that the wealthy benefited from the Trump tax cuts, it's just a flat-out lie. It's so ridiculously stupid. 
but they say it over and over again, and they make the same kind of statements about health care. They'll say, make this comment that, you know, health care is a right, that uh, health care uh, will be provided, you know, universal health care will be provided to everyone, and that is just factually not true. Any limited resource on this planet has to be allocated, and there are only two ways of allocating scarce resources. Healthcare is a scarce resource. There's either a rationing body like a government, that would be socialized medicine, or there's a free market system. Now, the free market system is the most fabulous system known to man. I know capitalism gets a, a black eye these days, and it's really because the people in charge, the people that are telling you that tax cuts only benefited the wealthy, these types of people are telling you that universal health care is better for you, that it's cheaper, that it gives everyone access. But the reality is that is not the case. And I know this through my own experience. And I'm going to share some anecdotes with you today to kind of illustrate how this is happening. Now, I always like to explain to people, I wasn't really taught politics or you know, my views on things. I wasn't really taught business or anything. About the only thing I ever learned in school was medicine. But other things I feel like I learned just by doing and failing and using common sense and seeing things with my own eyes. And one of the common things I know is growing up as a young person and playing lots of sports, I always understood the the necessity of competition and how competition always brought out the best in people. When I was on teams where I was the only player at a position, even a hardworking person like me, I didn't work quite as hard because I knew the spot was mine. I knew I was going to start every game. And so I might not be pushing it all the time. When I got in more competitive situations where there were other players who might start over me, well, it encouraged me to work even harder and be the best player that I could possibly be. Now, that's... that's. Uh, that's just basic understanding of human nature. I'm the same person. I feel like I'm a hardworking person, but I work harder when I'm in a competitive situation. When there are other people who have the ability to take something that I desire, it encourages me to do the things to gain an edge, to work harder, to learn more, to study more. Uh, and when it comes to sports, to train harder, to be more fit, to get good sleep, to eat properly. It encourages me to do all the things I need to gain advantage to be a better professional. Well, not, the same is true in academics. The same is true in business. It's certainly true in healthcare. And doctors are human beings just like other people. They need these same incentives to be the best that they can be. And obviously, when your doctors are the best that they can be, you're going to get better health care. Now, I remember being at UCLA sitting in my freshman history class. And as I was telling you, I learned things on the fly. I learned by doing. I didn't really pay attention a lot in school until I got into medical school, really. And uh, I was interested in other things, sports and, and things like that. But uh, I remember sitting in this American history class, and the professor was kind of talking about things, and he was going, da-da-da-da, and this person on the right. And then he talked about this other person on the left. And then he talked about this other person on the right. And then he talked about another person on the left. He's talking about Congress. And then this other person on the right, another person on the left. And I just remember looking at him, and I turned to my friend in the, in the seat next to me, and I said, why does he keep telling us where everybody is sitting? Now, it's laughable. He was talking about a political left and right, and I'm sitting here in a history class, and I'm in, in college. I had no concept of a political left and a political right. I, I just didn't think about it. And so when I think about my views in this world, 
my views in this world are based on experience. And I, you know, I've gotten to an age now and I've had enough experience in, in academics, in business, in healthcare, that I think I have some perspectives that are worth sharing and will help uh, people who maybe don't have that experience. Maybe you're younger in life and maybe you don't have a lot of experience in, in academia or in healthcare. But I can help un- help you understand why people like President Biden would tell you a flat-out lie like the, tra- the Trump tax cuts only benefited the, wealth- benefited the wealthy when anyone can just go to IRS data and see that the Trump tax cuts benefited the people at the lower end of the tax bracket the most. I mean, to me, it just is common sense that if they're lying to me about something as obvious as that, they might not be 100% honest about other things. And that's why I want to have the control of decision-making, especially about important things like health care. I want to have that control. I don't want other people making my decisions. I don't want other people deciding to give me the bottom half of the muffin when I want part of the top half of the muffin. And I certainly don't want other people to be making decisions about my daughter's life. Uh, you know, I certainly didn't want that umpire to be calling balls over her head strikes. But that's the world we live in. And so the fewer things that you can cede decision-making power to other people, the better off you're going to be. Now, when I think about capitalism, um, I think about, you know, what incentivizes people and and fairness. I, I feel like I'm a fair person. Uh, I'm a I'm a Christian. I'm a sinner. Uh, but I work hard to be the best person I can be. I want to do the right things. I don't always succeed in that, but I work at it. And, I, you know, especially when it comes to my patients, I want to do the right thing by my patients. And I really do feel that I do that as well as most doctors. Uh, but one of the things that allows me to do that is control. And I get that in, through a free market system. Now, when I think about my journey to sort of understanding the way the world works and understanding human behavior, and I think about these experiences I had in my life that had nothing to do with, you know, politics or healthcare or anything like that, sharing muffins, um, you know, I also think about camping. I used to go camping with all my college buddies uh, back in the day after we graduated from college and every year for many years till we sort of got married and families and kids and it kind of died off. But for a long time, we would get together and we would go camping up on the Feather River in uh, Northern California. It was a beautiful place. And I always remember we would get out to the campsite. There was always some people that would kind of set up the tents. There were other people that would go and collect firewood. There were some people that uh, would start cooking food. And then there were some people who would just pull up a chair, crack a beer, and sit there and watch everybody else doing the work. Well, it always kind of made, it was always kind of funny to me. We didn't really care when it was about camping. But that behavior is true in the real world. When, you know, when you have uh, your workspace or anything that you do in your lives, you know that there are some people who put a lot of effort in and some people who put a little effort in. And doctors are no different. Healthcare is no different. I've seen it with my own eyes. The thing that brings out the best in your doctors is competition. Now, as I got older, I started uh, to want to read and understand the world that I live in. And some big books that I read, uh, The Road to Serfdom by Friedrich Hayek and um, The uh, Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. Now, these are are huge books. The The Road to Serfdom by Friedrich Hayek is an easier book to read than The Wealth of Nations, but 
when you read The Road to Serfdom, he talks about the concept that in a in a world of wants, needs, and desires, we got billions of people who all have their different wants, needs, and desires. There's no individual or group of individuals who could possibly internalize all these billions of people's different wants, needs, and desires and and organize it. And that, that is what socialism is. You have a few people at the top making all the important decisions for the people at the bottom, and it's just simply not possible. The volume of it is just makes it impossible for any individual or group of individuals to possibly consider all the wants, needs, and desires of billions of people. But free markets can, because when people are empowered through property rights and and through through the freedom to to make their own decisions, we see this ingenuity, we see this ability of people to flourish and create things that we could never never dream of on our own. And that's why when you go to, you know, they always use the supermarket analogy. You go to the aisle for chips and there's just all these amazing choices in chips, like beyond my my ability to even comprehend. And so what we've seen over the years with free market capitalism is that the free market provides the greatest quality of, of goods, the greatest variety of goods at the lowest price because people are competing to deliver these goods and services for the lowest possible price. Now, people always ask me, like, how much would you charge for a good or service? And, you know, the answer from most people is I would charge as much as I could get. And the, the uh, you know, the way that we keep that price down is through a competitive marketplace because, you know, let's say I'm making $10 profit on a product and somebody else can come in and make $9 profit. They will because they'll steal all the business. And then somebody else may come in and say, well, I can do it for $8 profit. And then they steal that business and on and on it goes until it gets down to the level where your cost to produce uh, is commensurate with the income. I mean, at some point, you're not going to do something if you're losing money. You can't because you got employees, you got resources, you got to pay for. It. And if you're not making enough money to pay for those things, you go out of business. And that's what incentivizes free marketeers to be able to deliver the best quality of goods and services at the lowest price. Now, always when you have somebody who's the first person in, the prices are high because there's no competition to keep those prices low. And we see that in medicine in uh, like LASIK surgery with, with your eyes. You know, when LASIK surgery 20, 30 years ago started coming around, it was relatively expensive and not easy to, to get. And now because it's so um, when LASIK surgery is not very penetrated by the government, it's pretty much a cash type business. And so what you've seen is the prices come down, the procedures become amazing. It's, it's very easy and safe and can be done at a low cost. And that's the free market at work. And when you have something where the government is in control, you don't see very much innovation. Costs tend to stay high. And you might say to yourself, um, you know, well, you know, uh, with my insurance, I only I went to the emergency room and I I only uh, had to pay you know whatever my copay was a hundred dollars, but yeah, the bill was ten thousand dollars. That ten thousand dollars is being is being um, placed on you. You're just not paying for it at the point of service, and the government and the 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 you know what I call the medical industrial complex has gotten really good at concealing all of these exorbitant fees in your deductibles. And your premiums. Now, I always kind of explain this scam with uh, Obamacare, 
uh, the Affordable Care Act that is really frustrating to me. That for people like me that are high wage earners, um, I have to pay a ridiculous amount of money for an Obamacare plan or for an Affordable Care Act plan, and my my deductibles are not that high, uh, but my premiums are extremely high. If you have another person that is uh, a low-wage earner, maybe their premiums are not very high, and they might say, oh, it's great, I get my Obamacare for a very low cost in terms of premiums. But the, the dirty secret is when they go to access the system, their deductible is extraordinarily high. And because their deductible is so high, oftentimes they can't uh, receive their, their good or service because they simply don't have the money to afford the deductible, and they don't become aware of that until they go and they try and access the system. Because most of us, once we get that insurance card, we put it in our pocket, we feel like we're covered. But then something happens, you get cancer, you get hit by a bus, uh, you have some sort of ailment, you go to the doctor and they say, okay, well, you need a certain kind of surgery, your deductible's $10,000. And a person is saying, well, gosh, I don't have that kind of money. And this was done on purpose. People that are high wage earners that pay high premiums are covering the cost of the low um, uh, wage earners who are not necessarily paying for their premiums, and then the deductibles are designed to be high for the low wage earners, so that when they go to access the system, they can't. And so that that's a way of rationing your resources. Now, I think it's a horrible way to do it. Uh, everybody's different in terms of their wants, needs, and desires. I, I know uh, my wife and I were fertility challenged, and uh, we ended up having to get. Uh, fertility treatment in order to have our children. We lost our first baby at five months, and I thought my wife was never going to recover from that. Um, we got pregnant with our second child, who's now 15 and, and amazing. Uh, and my wife was very anxious during that, pres- that pregnancy, and so she wanted to get a bunch of ultrasounds because she needed to be um, she needed to see that everything was okay to maintain her sanity because what we had gone through was so traumatic. And you know, you get these hormones going, especially with the, the fertility treatment, it really affected her emotions and her anxiety. And so I would go to the doctor, and the doctor would say, "Well, the insurance says you're only allowed to have one ultrasound a month." And I was so frustrated with that because the the need for an ultrasound is not the doctor's need, it was my need. And I was trying to tell them, I will pay money for it. I don't I don't need my insurance to pay for it. I need this ultrasound because I need my wife to be able to sleep comfortably at night. And she wasn't able to do it because she had so much anxiety. And it was really frustrating to me because the people that we were um that that we were getting the treatment from were not used to people wanting to pay money. They didn't, they didn't understand people paying cash. They only understood the insurance rationing situation. And so it was sort of difficult for me to even get them to agree to accept money. I kind of had to go to the doctor and said, hey, you take money, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. All right, well, thanks. Let's get the ultrasound. It was very frustrating. And um, it happens across the board. Um, now, I'm getting ready to uh, hire a, another young spine surgeon, and I got a person who is absolutely amazing, the most well-trained person on the planet, uh, you know, among the most well-trained person on the planet. He actually is a fellow uh, by one of the greatest doctors on the planet, and um, this young man is an amazing asset. I really want to get him to, to work for us, and so... Uh, 
he and I have been talking and uh, getting to know each other, and we're starting to get ready. I've, you know, I'm obviously 20 plus years into my career, and this person is is just getting ready to start the career. And having sort of negotiations about bringing this person on started getting me to think about my journey and all the things I wanted to do when I came out, and I realized. I could not be me today with all the regulations put on young doctors coming out that strangle the supply of healthcare that affects you people out there. Now, when I first came out of my training, I was one of the most highly trained uh, doctors around. I had been to all the top places. Um, I had trained with all the top people, and I really felt that I was valuable. And... uh, when I started going out into the marketplace trying to find a, a position, I wanted to be on a track that would lead to partnership and ownership. And what I discovered out there, very disappointingly, was that most uh, employers did, couldn't care less how good I was. They really just wanted somebody to uh, to uh, cover overhead. And the reason that quality wasn't important is because in a non-competitive environment, in a socialized medicine environment, it doesn't matter how good your uh, providers are when the when the patients don't have any choice about who they can see. And, and that's kind of the situation that we have here. The more government penetration we get, the more socialized medicine we get, the fewer choices patients have because you're not on my insurance plan or you don't you know work where I'm, you don't work at a hospital that I'm allowed to go to. It makes it difficult for patients to choose doctors. And when that happens, it doesn't matter if the doctor's good or not. It's all there is. And you don't have the ability to go elsewhere and that decreases quality. Now, we're going to explore that a little bit more when we come back. We're going to go to a break right now. You're listening to The Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber on America's Web Radio. We'll be right back. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. The views, opinions, and content of the show's hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. <coughs> The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs.com 
fourpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org, and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Scott Barber, and you're listening to me on America's Web Radio. And today we're talking about the fact that nobody looks out for your interests better than you, and it's why it is so important that we maintain our free market healthcare system and that we actually need to reclaim it because so much of it has been lost. We know that in a socialized medicine type situation, you get rationing from the top, which leads to scarcity of resources. It leads to exorbitant costs and uh, uh, difficulty with access. The more we can encourage free market health care, the lower the costs are going to be, the greater the access, and you're going to have more choices uh, in your health care uh, because the free market always. Uh, is innovative. It's always creating new and better ways to deliver goods and services. A socialized medicine situation doesn't do that because uh, doctors and healthcare providers are not incentivized to come up with a better way. And, you know, as I said, I've spent my entire life, or at least a lot of my life, in academics, in business, and in healthcare, and I've seen a lot. Uh, and I really understand uh, from personal experience. How important it is to have free free market health care to make sure that the quality and access and cost of our health care is where it needs to be. Now, I was just talking about a young person I'm getting ready to hire is at the beginning of their career. And um, as I've gone through my uh, experiences, I've wanted to maintain control of my medical practice because I've seen through the years that as you get too many people uh, involved in the decision making, it makes it very difficult for uh, medical practices uh, to uh, to be successful because you got people that are uh, looking out for themselves, and so I sort of just through experience. Um, I've always felt like I was a, um, a generous person. Uh, I've uh, always had the ability to kind of bring people along uh, because I'm not greedy and I can share uh, the the benefits of what we're building. And over time, I've earned trust and I've been able to sort of uh, keep control of the decision making of my practice. And I've been able to do this without having to uh, bring in other partners. Now, I got this young kid who comes in, and I really want him because he's super talented. And part of my business model is I want quality doctors. I don't just want doctors. I want the people who are the best because that is what I'm selling in a free market is quality care. Our care is going to be better and different than the care that you can receive than what's increasingly becoming a socialized medicine system, and I'm competing there. So anyway, this young guy, I offered him an employment contract, and he called me back, and he said, hey, I really enjoyed meeting you. I really admire what you've built. I really think we could get along, and and I think uh, I would love to be a part of it, but I don't want to be employed. He goes, I have a vision. I want to have ownership, and I want to, uh, I want to control my own destiny, and I just don't think I could accept an employed position. And I thought, that makes me want this kid even more because he reminds me of me when I came out. It wasn't, I wasn't just 
um, you know, what I, we call it in the business, I wasn't a clock puncher. I didn't want to just go to work and go home. I wanted to build something. I wanted to have ownership. I wanted uh, to have uh, all of the decision-making in my hands, and I wanted to, to be able to create something because I feel like God made me to be a doctor. This is, you know, I have friends and family all the time that, that uh, you know, have issues, and they'll contact me on weekends or at night, and people are always apologizing uh, that they're infringing on my personal time. And I'm always like, I was born to do this. I'm not at work. I love doing this. So it's never it's never uh, putting me out when people come to me on the weekends or at night or whatever. And anyway, this kid uh, made this statement that he didn't want to become employed and that he wanted to have some ownership. And so I'm going to go back and try and figure out a way to make that happen because the fact that his mentality is is such that he wants to be entrepreneurial and have ownership on top of the fact that he's a talented surgeon it makes me want him even more and the reason is is because in a free market system i know that if we can deliver better care more quality care uh we'll be more successful and so it dealing with this young person got me thinking about my own journey now when i first came out of training I was under the delusion like everybody else, oh, you're a rich doctor. Like just by virtue of being a doctor, you're going to be rich. And I really didn't ever care about money. I never really even thought about it. I just, you know, I wanted to make sure I had enough uh, to pay the bills. And I just enjoyed the job. And so I was really excited about that. I didn't want to be employed. I didn't want somebody telling me what to do. I wanted to be the one making the decisions. And so we opened our first practice. And that's when the real lesson about healthcare started to, to hit me. Now, the first thing you need in order to practice medicine after you finish your training is you need to become licensed. You need to become credentialed at a hospital. And then most of the time, because of the way the American citizenry is conditioned, you have to get on insurance panels. So, you know, if you're not on Blue Cross Blue Shield, if you're not on Aetna, if you're not on Humana, if you're not on United Healthcare, how are you going to make money? Because people will come in and, you know, they're like, oh, I have Humana or whatever. And you're like, oh, I don't take that insurance. You don't get any business. So it's very difficult to grow a patient base if you're not on these insurance plans. Well, guess what? Most of these insurance plans are not credentialing new young doctors anymore. Forcing doctors that come out now, they have to go become employed by me or they have to go become employed by a hospital system who already has these relationships. The only other option is to go out and to open a cash-based business. Now, there are lots of people right now in primary care that are doing concierge medicine, and I would encourage all of you to go find a doctor who's a concierge doctor. I'm telling you, these people are the best of the best, uh, and they're responsive to your wants, needs, and desires because they're engaged in a free market system. When you go to uh, an employed position, we have what's known as best practices, which is really just a way of the the people in charge telling you don't go rogue and start making medical decisions that we don't want you to make because we decide what we're going to offer and what we're not going to offer. And so they call it best practices, which is a joke. The reality of healthcare is that you have a lot of creative people out there practicing their craft, learning how to be good at it, and they come up with new and innovative ways to manage your healthcare needs. And it's an obvious thing to see. And um, I know when I was listening to Joe Biden's State of the Union address, 
He talked about the way to that businesses can be successful in the age of inflation is to lower their costs. Yes, he said that out loud, as if people running businesses don't understand that lowering their cost will improve their bottom line and make their their business more successful. And it got me to thinking, this is what happens when we allow people control of our lives who know nothing about what we're doing. When the great, (laughs) I shouldn't say that, the infamous Hugo Chavez took power in Venezuela, supported by uh, Sean Penn and Madonna and Danny Glover and all these people, the, the, the Democratic left all thought he was amazing. Uh, Venezuela was a very uh, large producer of oil. And they were a relative, I think at the time, they were the second uh, richest nation in the Western Hemisphere, which was pretty impressive. You get a guy like Hugo Chavez that uh, sold socialism to the people. They bought into it. He won that election. Of course, there was never another election after that, not a real one. Um, He took over the oil plants, and he basically has bankrupted the country, and now people are literally starving in the streets, unable to find toilet paper and things like that. And this is what happens when you allow people to control industries that they know nothing about. Now, you get these people, these politicians, they want to control everything, but they don't know how to do anything, and nothing exhibits it more or uh, you know, than Joe Biden making a statement like, in order to uh, improve your business, you need to lower your costs. I mean, it's so ridiculous that he would say something that out loud, but that's the, the, the situation that we're in right now. And I can tell you, when the government controls your health care, they don't make good decisions about how to deliver your health care, how to manage your health care, because they don't know anything. And so they put people in positions of power that are really just bureaucrats that don't have the ability to think outside the box. We've seen that over the last two years. Any dissenting opinions get censored and attacked and and uh, persecuted. And so you you squash the free thinking and the ability for your doctor, that sacred relationship, that doctor-patient relationship, you squash that ability for the doctor to think outside the box and make decisions for you. Now, when I first got out, I set up my practice. I just assumed that I would do work. I would get paid for that work. I could pay my bills. I could pay my employees. I could pay my rent. I could pay for my energy costs. I could pay for my medical supplies. And I would, you know, run a business. I would have my life. And I remember when I got my first patient, uh, you know, I was like, okay, I finally got a surgical patient. Let's get him on the schedule. And they said, uh, the, the, the lady who was working for me says, oh, you're not on their insurance plan. And I remember thinking like, well, what do you mean I'm not on their insurance plan? And I, I didn't understand. Here I am, a doctor. <laughs> I've been training for, you know, 13 years. I was a pretty educated guy. I had no concept of the fact that I'm not on an insurance panel. So at the time, I was energetic. I was eager to get started. I just had all this training. I knew how to do all of this uh, great surgery. I just didn't have any patience because I just started. So... I remember going to my surgical scheduler, who was a, a wonderful lady, very experienced. She'd been working in healthcare for a long time. And I said, well, is there any way I could just do the surgery for free? Meaning I'll just do the surgery. And um, 
you know, I just wanted to be able to do it. He had a cool sports case, a distal biceps tendon rupture. I had been trained on how to do a very mini incision at the time. Uh, it was very popular to do these two incision things. And um, I was able to do this one incision thing. And actually, what happened was I, I went to the lady in my office. She said I wasn't on his insurance plan. I went to the patient. I said, oh, apparently I'm not on your insurance plan, but let me put you with another doctor. So I went on the computer. I found somebody else who looked like they were sports medicine trained, and I referred him. Patient goes to that doctor, comes back to see me in a few days, and he says, I want to go see that doctor, but he wants to do this two incision technique. He goes, what you were describing to me with that one incision, it sounds real cool, and I would rather have you do my operation. So I was like, okay. Then I go back to my lady who was working for me, and um, I said, is there any way I can do this man's surgery for free? I want to do it. I've been trained. I'm ready to go. I got this guy. He was a, a martial artist, and it was a cool case. And I wanted to go. So my my uh, the lady who was working for me, Pam, Pam uh, spends two hours contacting the insurance company asking for the privilege of allowing me to do the operation for free. And she succeeds. And so I go to the operating room. I operate on this gentleman. The surgery comes out amazing. And I remember driving home at the end of the day. And I was feeling good about myself. I was, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, you know, that I, I'm, I'm a healer. I, you know, I'm in this job for the right reasons. I care about people. And my phone goes off. I pick up the phone, and it's the patient's wife. And she started screaming at me that I lied to her, that I misled her. And I was stunned. I, I was like, I, I don't know what happened. And uh, turns out that when, as a surgeon... If I do the surgery on a patient and I'm not credentialed, that none of the other things are credentialed. So she had to pay $40 for the pain medicine after the operation because that wasn't covered on the insurance because an out-of-network doctor did the procedure. And I just remember thinking to myself, are you kidding me? Like, I'm getting yelled at for doing this operation for free to me. I didn't get anything for it. And, I, you know, I just didn't, wasn't aware that the insurance company wouldn't cover the cost of the patient's pain medicine. Now, the insurance company is, I, I, to me, the whole thing starts off with with um, what we call crony capitalism. I, I don't want to use the term corruption because it's not like insurance companies, you know, they're all evil people out there, but it's the way the system gets set up because government gets control. And what happens is you get these business entities that get with government, government passes regulations and things like that that prevent other competitors from coming into the marketplace. And so the the insurance companies are able to maintain their profits because they don't have any competitors coming into the marketplace. That's what we call crony capitalism. Um, <clears throat> so have you ever asked yourself, why are there only you know, a handful of insurance companies out there, the ones that we know, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Aetna, Cigna, Humana, United. Why doesn't Geico offer health insurance? Or why doesn't Prudential? Or why doesn't, uh, you know, all these other insurance companies that do other kinds of insurances, they have actuaries, they have a client base. Why can't they get into the competitive marketplace? And the reason is, is because the more... The more we allow access and competition like that, the more these healthcare prices come down, the more options people will have and the less control government has. And it's just so obvious that that is what is going on. And now I'm sitting here uh, practicing in my uh, my early practice. 
I'm operating, I'm working, and you know that first day, my, my partners and I, we all went to see our one patient, three doctors seeing one patient. Then over the five years, our patient population grew because we were good at what we did and we were we were we enjoyed what we did and we were we were uh, you know well trained and I started to notice that you know our patient volume was a hundred times what it was when we first started five years earlier but the revenue coming in was not enough I mean it was not going up either it stayed stagnant and. I, you know, I'm hiring people and I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm working in relationship with a hospital. They should have known better about what was going on, but they didn't care because um, that gets too complicated. But basically, they're bringing us in to sort of decrease the power of other doctors working at the same hospital. So I start looking into things and I realize that the insurance companies are simply denying a lot of the work that we did. When I go back and I review, it's like, hey, I did this hip replacement. Why didn't I, um, why didn't I get paid? And then, you know, you look in the fine print with the insurance company, it's like, well, you didn't do the proper amount of physical therapy. Now, mind you, we go and we ask the insurance company, we say, hey, I'm going to do a hip replacement on this. And they say, yeah, go ahead and do it. You do the operation. And then when it comes time to pay, they go, oh, you know, as we look at it, you didn't do it the way we wanted you to do it. So we're not going to pay you. Um, you fill out a claim and you send the claim to what's known as a clearinghouse. Like when I'm as a doctor, when I send my claim to the insurance company, it doesn't go directly to the insurance company. It goes to a thing called a clearinghouse, which is basically just a middleman that, I mean, even as experienced as I am, I don't even really understand why they're there, but I'll send my claim to the to the clearinghouse. The job of the clearinghouse is to make sure that the claim is clean, meaning we got the right codes on there and you know that the, the all the rules and regulations for doing the proper uh, surgery is there, and the clearinghouse may decide. You know what? It's not a clean claim, and I'm not kidding. I once had a claim. the The word was touching the line on the box, and so they called that not a clean claim because the entirety of the word was not in the box on this form. They send it back to the practice. Um, through snail mail. So I do the operation, you know, this month. Then three months later, uh, they're processing the claim. They send it back to say the claim is denied because it's not a clean claim. Now, if you don't have the staff that has the wherewithal, the experience, the understanding, or even cares to notice that the claim was denied, then it goes unpaid. And the insurance companies know that. That's why they have this system of, this is how bureaucracy works. They ration things by making it difficult for you to complete all the necessary tasks. And I know all of you know this to be true. If you've had to access the healthcare system lately, filling out forms and getting pre-certs and your doctor has to do a peer-to-peer, all of these things are just designed to ration out the care, hoping that some people just say, ah, this is not bothering me enough, I'm just not going to get care or it slows down the process through denial. And you'll see that people who are super persistent, they finally get to the insurance company and the insurance company will say, okay, fine, we'll, we'll pay for that one. They're very good at rationing this care. Now, we got so frustrated with all the different <clears throat> reasons that we were being denied payment for the services that we did that we went to go to a coding class. And this coding class was put on by people who used to work in the insurance companies. And they came out, and the first thing they said is that every insurance company will label medical practices A, B, and C practices. A practices are really good at collecting their money. 
B practices are average and C practices are poor. And the policy was, this is them telling us that the policy at the insurance companies is deny all the claims to the C practices because they're not good at collecting their money. They'll miss it. They don't have the staff. They deny fewer claims to the A practices and then the B practices, um, uh, you know, less uh, less denials than the than the C practices. And the point is, they're just trying to figure out ways not to pay for services because obviously the insurance companies are in business to make money now. You might say to yourself, like, well, Doc, what, Scott, what are, you, what are you talking to me about all this stuff? This is all, uh, you know, inside baseball stuff, and who cares whether I get paid or not? No, you care, because this affects the health care that you get. This affects the ability of doctors to provide the health care that you get. This affects the cost of your health care. All of this stuff driving up your cost for no reason whatsoever and discouraging Doctors from doing certain procedures and things like that uh, and providing certain kinds of care, which even strangles the, the supply of the health care even more, which drives up the cost even more. This third-party payer system is destroyed, the doctor-patient relationship, because it's putting doctors out of business and it's preventing new ones from coming into the marketplace. Now, I mean, I remember when we were at this meeting and my partners and I were just like, you've got to be kidding me. This is pure corruption. I can't believe adults would do this. And I can't believe, you know, businesses would cheat like this. And the reality is they do. That's just the way of the world. People do this kind of stuff, which is why you need to have control over decision making about the things that are important to you. And ceding that control to our institutions, I think we've seen over the last couple of years, our institutions have absolutely let us down. I mean, they're not uh, being above board. And, you know, we could go over numerous examples of how, uh, you know, they've given us inaccurate information about things. You know, what the motives and why that happened is debatable. But the fact is we're not getting reliable information from our institutions. Well, your health care is important. You need to have control over this stuff. Now, at the time that our practice was growing, we wanted to offer MRI. We were getting more more patients, and we went to invest in an MRI. We had so many patients. That seems like a good service to be able to offer my patients as an MRI. So we go to GE, and they sell us a multimillion-dollar magnet, and we get this great MRI, and we're so excited. And I'm thinking we've gotten to the next level of our business with the growth in our patient population. Now we buy this MRI. I go in and I look at my business office. And I'm like, okay, I ordered 100 MRIs last week. You know, how many did we do? And they look and they're like, zero. I was like, what? How do I do zero MRIs? I go, well, we just ordered 100 of them. And I start to look into it. And it turns out that at the time in the state of Georgia, 70% of the marketplace was Blue Cross Blue Shield at the time. This is 20 years ago. I'm not sure what the, the, the data is now. But back then... 70% of the market share was in Georgia. And in Georgia, only one practice had the ability to perform MRI in the, uh, in the state of Georgia. One, pra- one and uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield, 70% of market share. So 70% of people who were insured in the state of Georgia were Blue Cross Blue Shield. And only one practice, which was not mine, was allowed to do MRI. Now, at the time that we're going to buy these MRIs, the people selling it to us absolutely knew that this was the case, that if seven out of 10 patients I see are going to have an insurance that I can't use the MRI, I couldn't possibly have enough volume to be able to pay for the magnet. But they allowed it to happen. The hospital knew, but they allowed it to happen. 
the point I'm trying to make is there are so many rules and regulations out there that are strangling the supply of independent doctors that directly affect you and your ability to get quality health care and to 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 have choice. Now, if you are a new doctor coming out now, you can't even get credentialed with an insurance company. So you have to become employed by somebody like me or by a hospital system, uh, which <clears throat> basically prevents ingenuity. It prevents new competition from coming into the marketplace to hold me accountable for the goods and services that I'm providing. And it, in the end, it prevents you from getting the health care that you need. Now, this young man that I'm trying to hire for a spine surgeon, he wants to be an owner, and he's thinking the right way, but he doesn't understand the system. He's where I was 20 years ago. He doesn't realize that the things that he wants, he can't have. Now, I'm going to pr- make figure out a way to make it happen because I value his expertise as a spine surgeon. But if he were to decide, well, I'm just going to not take your offer, I'm going to just go out and hang a shingle next to you and compete with you, he can't do it. He can't get credentialed in a reasonable time at a hospital because the hospitals are, in essence, competing with him too. So they don't want to credential him. That's kind of a conflict of interest. You have to be credentialed at a hospital to work as a surgeon. But the hospital doesn't really want that person to be credentialed because they'll just come into the marketplace and complete with the employed surgeons at the hospital. The insurance companies are not, and many of them, are not even credentialing new doctors. So it's impossible for a person to come out of training, get credentialed at a hospital, get on insurance panels, and start competing in our traditional healthcare system. Now, if you're a primary care doctor, you can start concierge medicine and do a cash business, which I would encourage any young doctor to do. Um, but specialists, it's more difficult. You know, if you're a you know, if you're a trauma surgeon, you know, trauma trauma patients don't come to your office. You know, they go to the hospital. You have to you have to uh, be part of the system. Um, the <clears throat> the ability for doctors to become credentialed and be able to, to practice has got to change. That's going to happen through changes in legislation at both the state level and at the federal level, but it simply has to happen in order to allow innovation uh, with young doctors coming out doing new and different things. Now, how bad has it gotten? When I first came out, it was really difficult to to go into free market medicine because most people could get reasonably good health care with their insurance. There was still a variety of insurance plans. You know, you could get a high deductible plan or a low deductible plan. You could get some variability there that would give you the quality and and the specificity of health coverage that you were looking for. Now, years later, I mean, it's one size fits all through the passing of the Affordable Care Act. But um, it used to be really difficult to try and encourage people to pay cash because in, in the public's eye, when you look at a doctor, you think all the white coats are the same. They're not. Some are good, some are bad, some are average. Your ability to choose is really important, but we're conditioned to want to go to the doctor who's on our insurance plan and, and all that. The reality, though, is in, in today's current system, the quality of health care is so poor that people are actually looking at, you know what, maybe I should pay for some free market health care and get better quality care. And I'm just going to give you a few stories. I was sharing with you guys last time, I have this patient that has spine and, uh, arthritis in their neck, and they have some issues, and they got diagnosed with 
uh, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. I mean, could you imagine getting a horrible diagnosis like that? So he had gotten my name through the grapevine. This person's living in another state calls me and I said, well, why didn't you just talk to your doctors and everything? And he says, well, they won't give me the time of day. So he, I asked him to send all my st- all his stuff out and everything. Turns out he doesn't have ALS. And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? How could anybody possibly give such a horrible diagnosis to somebody in, in such a lackadaisical way? And the reason is because of all of this bureaucracy and government intrusion on healthcare, it's reducing the quality of our healthcare, the access of our healthcare, and the cost of our healthcare. Now, as usual, I didn't even get to a tenth of the stuff I wanted to. I'm going to pick this up next time, um, so stick with me on this. I know some of this stuff is a little bit complicated, and I'm constantly trying to, to keep it simple. I'd appreciate your feedback at uh, Dr. Scott at americaswebradio.com. That's D-R-S-C-O-T-T at americaswebradio.com. Please give me your comments and your critiques. I'll see you guys next time. You're listening to Dr. Scott Barber on the Doctor's Lounge. We're on America's Web Radio. Have a great day. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.